as was read by Walter Ware in Luke 15. And this is a famous story, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, grew up in the church, went to Sunday school. And oftentimes this, is, this famous story is called the story of the prodigal son. Um, you may have heard it called the story of the lost son. Um, me in particular, when I look at this passage, it's not so much about the lost son or the lost sons. It's more a passage about the loving father. And so I think that's one of the emphases that I want to put on this passage in Luke 15 is this is the parable of the loving receiving father. And you may see in a lot of our slides, in our presentations, or out there in some of our kind of signs and stuff, the 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 phrase, welcome home. And we say that a lot up here, welcome home, welcome home. And as I was thinking about this, welcome home, what, what really does it mean to be family? What really does it mean to uh, be home as a church? To be more than a place that we come to to sing songs or come to to look at beautiful things, to come to to look at pastors who are handsome, tall, dark, and handsome, preaching the word. What does it mean to be for a community to be home? It's about relationships, right? It's about feeling uh, welcome, feeling like you belong in a place. And I realize that as we talk about home, that many of us do not have good experiences of home growing up. Or even as I talk about good father, or we sing about good, good father, or the loving father, Many of us don't have good experiences of our earthly biological fathers, right? And so, Isaiah, you're not included. So we put that, I'm distracted now. We put that, so I just want to put that out there. That when we say welcome home or good, good father, we're talking about um, a home that God is creating, right? God as creator Jesus Christ as our Savior is creating a new family as the church, a new community of believers in faith. And we, made in God's image, um, are all kindred souls. We're all family with one another. Even though we may come from different backgrounds, we come from different ethnicities, we have different social economic backgrounds, we eat different food, um, we're family. We're, we belong to one another. And, and that's the vision or the picture we should set before us. And that's why Jesus tells parables. Jesus tells parables because he wants to introduce a kingdom ethos, a kingdom vision in the middle of the world as it is, in the middle of how relationships as they're happening. In this case, the Pharisees and the uh, legal leaders, the religious leaders of the time are criticizing Jesus. They're making fun of Jesus. They're like, Jesus, because they're watching them have dinner and hang out with the crowds. And these crowds are full of tax collectors, people who are kind of the drudges of the sellouts of society, and sinners. And we don't know who was included in sinners. It could be prostitutes or thieves or murderers, right? People who were once incarcerated, people who were unclean, and in this religious culture, uh, unclean people or people who were sick or who had disease were considered that way because 
they were sinners. So it could just be sick people, diseased people who are among these sinners that Jesus is hanging out with. And the Pharisees and the legal leaders are like, I can't believe Jesus is hanging out with those people. As a rabbi, as a teacher, as someone who's supposed to be about the souls and the spiritual life of the people of Israel, he shouldn't be hanging out with those people. And that's the context of this parable. And in fact, uh, Jesus tells two parables, uh, two short parables and a long parable in response to the religious leader's response to him. And I don't know if he's hearing their whisperings or, you know, he can see that they're talking behind his back, but he chooses to tell these stories. The two short parables are the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And to sum those up, right, the, ba- the baseline of those parables is someone loses something and that something is so precious to them, right, that they throw everything out the door, they... they Pause time to go look for that thing. So in the case of the good sh- uh, of the sheep, the shepherd has lost one sheep. And it says he has 100 total sheep. But it says he leaves the 99 sheep to go chase that one, to go find that one. And what do you know about this? What, do you, what can we glean about the story? What I glean is if this is about God's heart in the kingdom of God, it God is not a capitalist. God is not a capitalist. God does not make economic sense, right? Who would leave 99 unattended to go chase the lost one? That's radical economics. That's radical love to kind of absolutely forget, only be focused on that one sheep. The second short parable is about the lost coin. A woman loses a lost coin in her house. And she's so distraught. Right? My precious coin that she's all day and all night, she's sweeping and cleaning. And or- Have you ever lost something precious like keys, a child? Right? It's like you might even consider looking for them, right? But uh, all night sweeping and looking around until finally... She finds the coin, and she calls all of her neighbors, and she says, celebrate with me. And both of these parables, like actually all three of these parables, have the same refrain. And that refrain is at the end is, come, celebrate with me, because that which was lost is what? Is now found. That which was lost is now found. And Jesus, in telling his parables, is saying, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what God is like. That's what the heavenly hosts and the angels are like. That's what we should be like. We should celebrate when something is lost or someone is lost and away from home. And when they return home, when we find it again, there's a big party. Amen? Amen. But I think a lot of times in Christian communities and churches, we're like furrowed brow people. Right? We're like the Pharisees. We're Pharisaical. Like, instead of focusing on someone returning home, we focus on what's wrong with that person and why they shouldn't be in our community. Oh my gosh, look at that person! 
They're, they're such sinners. I saw them smoking on the corner the other day. Smokers! I mean, smoking is bad for your health. <laughs> but it's not salvific, right? It doesn't have to do with your salvation or whether or not you can come to this church. You can come. In, you should come be with us. Welcome home. Even if your clothes smell like smoke. Yes. Even if your clothes smell like pot. Yes. Right? Or where you've been in your life. Who you've slept with. How many people you've slept with. Right? How many times you've been arrested or been in jail. What addictions have you had? Right? We spend too much time. What is your political alignment? Who did you vote for? <laughs> did you vote for? Last time? <laughs> right? We're not going to say it, but we know. <laughs> right? And we, we focus more on why that person shouldn't be in this place. How can they, how dare they be so audacious to show up in this place looking like that, smelling like that, being like that, having that kind of background, right? And what that does is put in this story, it puts us in the place of the Pharisees and not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is among the sinners and the tax collectors, amen? amen. So why do we try to flip the script in the church? Why do we flip the script on what, how welcoming, how open, how loving Jesus is and the Father up in heaven? Amen? Why do we flip the script on that? Why do we turn it upside down? Because people's is people. Humans are humans. Because of how we feel about ourselves, we want to find so many ways to put people on the outside in order that we can feel on the inside. Right? If though, at least if those people are less than me or outside of me, then I'm good. I'm clean. And just because you're a holy person or a religious person doesn't mean that you're clean. They had a religious system that was completely built around what is clean and what is holy and what is unclean. But that can be idolatry as well. Even our spirituality or religious religiosity or being churchness can be an idol if it keeps people away from the love of God. Are you with me, church? Yes. And give me an amen. amen. So things aren't going so well between Jesus and the religious leaders. There is a growing hostility, there's drama, and envy has been building up. Um, Jesus has been healing people, people have been flocking to him, people see in Jesus a loving person who accepts them for who they are. They're so used to being turned away, rejected by the institutions around them, by the powers that be, by the in crowd. But when they come to Jesus, I imagine they feel home, they feel acceptance. And actually there's power in his ministry. They're not only they are loved, they're healed, things change in their lives. And things are turned around. So Jesus is becoming a rock star. Right? The crowds are, are following him. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the Pharisees are looking at this and they're like, right? Ah, oh, we gotta get that guy. And if you trace the scriptures during Lent up to Jerusalem and the Jesus' crucifixion, you'll see that envy 
kind of build like, oh, this hatred of Jesus, who really was an innocent person who loved people. But yet, this envy and this anger is growing up so much that he would be murdered, right? That there would be a plot to murder him. Doesn't make sense when you look at it. But when you think about human nature and what can happen inside us, it does make sense, right? The religious elite are focusing on who Jesus is being with, what they look like on the outside, but what they're not looking at is their own uncleanness on the inside. Envy, jealousy, right? Being addicted to power. God is the one who is about drawing near, right? His heart is for lost ones. His heart is for us. Right, and here's the, here's the key. Before we go saying, oh, God doesn't have a heart for those lost ones. God has a heart for those broken ones. God has a heart for welcoming those people home. At Renew, we believe all of us are broken. All of us, at one point or another, are lost. In fact, I'm lost all the time in my own thoughts, right? I'm lost when I'm driving. That's why my wife likes to drive sometimes, because I'm always lost. But we're broken and we're lost, so there's no separation. When we're inviting people in, we're like, join the club of misfits, right? Join us. Welcome home. We're all the same, right? The scribes and the Pharisees don't like how Jesus rolls. That's, that's the bottom line. Their jaws and fists are clenching at the mere sight of who Jesus is associated with. He has opened the range of access to God. But they were the gatekeepers. They were supposed to be the gatekeepers. And Jesus is opening those gates up and saying, let them all in. And they're like, hey, it's our party, right? And I want you to keep this image in your head. You know, imagine there was this new person. You're at school, a new person at school or, you know, in your workplace, and they're so handsome or so pretty. They're good at everything they do. They're funny. They're smart. They're funnier than you. They're smarter than you. They're taller than you. They're prettier than you. They dress better than you. They do the job better. And all of your friends and coworkers or schoolmates like them more than you. And inside, you've got that closing heart feeling like all of a sudden you feel yourself like disliking that person. That's human nature. It's nature, right? Get rid of the person who's taking attention away from me. And what I feel is like, we get that feeling. That person, they're not good. I bet inside they cheat on their taxes. There's got to be something wrong with them because they're so good, right? You feel that, and we start making, I bet they uh, have bad gas, right? <laughs> Something. Something's got to be wrong. They can't be this good. And you throw a party, and you're having a great party, and that person comes in. And all of a sudden, when you were having fun, and you are celebrating having a party, this person, and it's your party, this person, this new person comes in, and everyone's like, hey, Norm, or whatever. Adeline, and they're 
in the corner and you're like, <laughs> it's my party. I can cry if I want to. <laughs> that, that small heartedness that comes, it's the smeagol, right? The ring of power. My precious. Right. So here's the story, and let's focus on the first part, the younger son. There's a rich man. He has two sons, a younger and an older. And the younger son is tired of living at home, right? There's too many restrictions. He wants to go hang out with his friends. He doesn't want a curfew. So he says, Dad, just give me the inheritance, the money, right, in the trust fund that I would get if you were, when, when you died, right? I don't want to wait until you die. I just want to have it now. In any culture, right? That's bad news. That's a diss, right? Disrespect, right? You'll get your inheritance when I die, not sooner. But the younger son is like, I want it now. And so the, young, the father, which is radical in his own way, allows it. He's like, okay, here, have it. It probably breaks his heart. He probably doesn't want his son to go away, but he does. And it says the young man takes the money and goes to a distant, far-off country, and he parties it up, right? He's got, you know, drinking, he's got women, he's, you know, living it up, and he's like, drinks all around, I've got money, here, I'll help you, help you. And all of a sudden, he's the rock star, he's popular, he's famous, because he's spending money left and right, and he's throwing parties, and he's the, the man of the day. Right? But then it says, he runs out of money, and what? Where are his friends? Where are his new friends? They're gone. Where's the party? No more funds to fund the party, right? No more beer, no more keggers, no more whatever. Everyone ditches him, and he's so poor that he works feeding pigs, right? He takes a job feeding pigs, and he's so destitute and poor that even the pigs are eating better than him and he's beginning to covet the swine's food. Ooh, look at the leftover mashed potatoes mixed in with, I don't know, corn. corn. Yeah, just random. All mushed together and fermenting and the flies are, that looks so good, I'm so hungry. And what does it say? It says, when he comes to his senses, Boom, he comes to his senses and he says, even my father's servants are doing better than me. I'll go home and, and he makes up a whole spiel. Father, forgive me, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me be as one of your servants. Right? He's, he's figuring, okay, I'm no longer his son, but I can be like his servants and at least I'll get three square meals a day and a place to live and some warm clothes, right? So he, he ventures back home. Let me ask you this question. The market has crashed. The bubble has popped. This son finds himself uh, in a great life recession with nothing to catch him, no security beneath him. <clears throat> Have you ever found yourself in such a desperate, lost situation, in great need, hungry for even the scraps that themselves are out of your reach? 
Perhaps you're in such a place now. Perhaps you know someone in such a place. And it doesn't have to be, I don't think it has to be your fault that you were lost, right? This person does walk away from home, a younger son, out of his own volition. But some of us are made lost or taken away by force. We're put into captivity. We're put into bad situations. We are harmed. We are abused. Have you found yourself in the mud, starving for food? Then we turn to the Father. In this section, we see a radical view of a loving Father. The Father has been disrespected and dishonored. No one would blame him for disavowing his Son. But we are told that the Father sees him from a far way off. And I imagine the Father is looking for his Son. The Father misses his child. The father's heart is broken, and even though his son disrespected him, he's looking, he's gazing. Maybe every day, he's going onto the porch. Where is my son? Where is my son? It's like a good Korean drama. It's like being shaped right here. Kosing. <laughs> the father is like, where is my son? And when he sees his son a long distance off, he begins to run towards his son. It's not like this. Oh man, my son disrespected me. He better come to me. He better bow down. He better say sorry, forgive me. And he's gonna be grounded for like five, you know, five years. He's gotta come to me. I'm not gonna go to him. No, it's nothing like that. When we've been wrong, a lot of times we're like that, right? Nothing like that, right? And you've heard like, God will, will be undignified on our behalf, right? This father undignifies himself. It says he raises up his robes and starts to run, right? Not this kind of like, you know, elegant, not this uh, respected father, but just losing his dignity and running for his son. And it says he embraces him, he kisses him. He's driven by compassion. He's driven by his love. All he can feel and know is my son has returned. He doesn't even hear what his son, the recited speech his son has of, hey, I even just let me come back as a servant. I'm no longer worthy to become your son. He receives him and it's full restoration it's not partial restoration. Like, if you've been in a doghouse with your parents, growing up, I'd get in a doghouse with my parents, and for a while, I'd walk on eggshells, right? Maybe for like a week, depending on what, how bad I did. And I'd walk on eggshells, like, don't ask for anything, you're not gonna get it. It's like, just don't walk around. Uh, but this is full restoration. Because the father says, quick! Go get the robes, go get some sandals, put a ring on his finger. It's like Beyonce, put a ring on it. But it's something else, it's not a wedding ring. It's the ring, the signet ring of the family, right? And the family ring, when you make a decree or write a letter, 
what you pour wax and you seal it with the family seal. And so this is showing a restoration of the son to the family. You are a sim again, right? Put new clothes on him. Put the family ring on him. Because my son was lost, right? But now he's found. And this is a reason to celebrate. So kill the fatted calf. Bring in the keggers. The best wine out of the cellar. Let's throw a party. Call the neighbors. And let's celebrate. The son was lost. And, I, and now he's found. Spare no expense. This is the love of the father. Not a halfway love. Not a love that is like, um, I can't find the word right now. Uh, demands like you, uh, a conditional love. That says, oh, you do this and this and this, and maybe I'll take you back. Conditional love. But it's full. It's like, you're back. I love you. The open arms of the Father. And this is what Jesus is talking about. This is why I hang out with sinners and tax collectors. Because God the Father goes out of his way to find the lost. He runs to us. He takes us in. Do you believe this, Renew? That he's a runner and a seeker after you. He's chasing you down. That's the incarnation, right? God chased us down by becoming a human. What's up? That which was far has been brought near. That's how Jesus rolls. That's how God rolls. The older son. The story ain't over. Do you think the prodigal or the lost son is just the younger son? No. Even though the older son stayed home, the older son was the obedient son, the older son never disrespected his father, the older son also is the lost son. Because why? Because when the party is going, he's on the outside. And remember that image? <laughs> right? got his undies in a bunch because the younger son has come back and they're throwing a party and he actually just came back from working, slaving away, trenching irrigation systems in his dad's farm, right? Working so hard. And what? He comes back, he's hungry, he's famished, he has extra work because his younger brother isn't there and he comes back and his younger brother is back and his father's throwing a party? What? lost as well because home is inside where the party is at where people are celebrating and laughing and smiling and, and hugging and embracing each other and he's outside of the room angry so this tells us that your body 
can be present in the right place. Doesn't mean your mind and your heart are in that place. Amen? Amen. We give lip service. We idolize duty. And you wonder why you hear in the church so much, oh, I'm burnt out. I'm going to take a break. Got to take a break from church. Got to take a break from God. Who takes a break from God? Right? We only take a break from God if our mind is misaligned. If we're like, I've been doing all this for God and no one cares. I'm not getting credit. I'm not getting this or that. And so forget that. I'm taking a break. Shoot. Amen. Amen. I mean, there's a time for rest. Don't get me wrong. There's time for Sabbath and for rest and and seasons um, to really, you know, heal the soul. But what I'm talking about is, I think if we're misaligned and this, that's why that anger and that bitterness happens because we're we've been doing things for all the wrong reasons. We've been doing things out of our own strength. We've been doing things just to be loyal, just to be the good son, the good daughter, just to look good. And when everything's taken out from that, we're like, well, where's my credit? Why haven't I been doing this? Are you with me? Both the younger son and the older son are lost. And if you notice, they say the same thing. The younger son said, I'll come back and I'll just be my father's slave, my father's servant. Right? I don't even have to be restored as a son. Older son is the same way. I'm like my father's servant. I've been slaving away all these years. They both have it wrong. What the radical father says is, I am father and you are my children. And that's how I see you. I love you. You are not servants and slaves. Do you see? Radical love. Radical acceptance. Radical return. Right? That is home. Let's turn back and come home. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you uh, that you are truly a good, good father. Truly a good, good parent to us. And in the places where we have not had good experiences with our humanly fathers, our humanly mothers, our, our churches, our institutions that are run by humans and that they're sin, or that we've been hurt by other people and cast out. Um, and maybe even now we find ourselves lost um, because we've wandered away and we feel, maybe we feel shame because of things that we've done, of where we've been, what we've seen. Or maybe we feel deep bitterness because we've been faithful for many, many, for a long, long time, and yet there's just no joy. And why can't you just give me joy, God? In all of those places, Lord Jesus, run to us and restore us into your wide open arms. In Jesus' name.